Hi, I'm Molly Wood, author of CNET's Buzz Report. And I am Tom Merritt, author of CNET's The Real Deal. You didn't sound very sure that you're the author <laughs> there. There's so many buzzes here at CNET.com. For example, out, report loud. this is Buzz Out Report Loud Daily. <laughs> and uh, more Apple news. More Apple news. Uh, so Think Secret, breaker of all Apple news, now says that the announcement will be um, a new iPod, but not a video iPod. Now, do you think Think Secret is just saying this because usually they're the ones to break it? And since everyone else in the world is speculating there would be a video iPod, they're like, well, no, we have I... to be different. Or do you think they really know? I feel like they might really know because they also have a bunch of details. They also say, and I just would well like to point out that I was right not to buy that PowerBook because they also say that updated PowerBooks are also expected next week and more um, uh, Power Mac. What I really want to know is update, why Apple would do it this way. I, I mean, know. this is mere weeks after the Nano. Well, it's just, it's like, didn't you learn anything from Madonna? Hello? In their own presentation, Madonna's like, dude, could you take it easy on the iPod upgrades? Because every time I buy one, a new one comes out. And then that's pretty bad if you're talking about an 18-month window. But if you're talking about a month, a month after you got suckered into buying your now scratched up Nano, they're coming out with new ones. And they, granted, they do say there'll be updates to the full-size iPod. Most major businesses would do well to take the advice of Ms. Ciccone, also known as Madonna. My my best friend who knows very little about technology yesterday, we were talking about Apple because she just got an iBook recently. Yes. And she goes, you know, they just need to chill out with the iPods. And I was like, that was a very astute observation. Yes. And that is more and more like that is the impression in the marketplace among the mainstream people who aren't even super into tech. They're just like, how, where do you even start in the iPod universe at this point? You know? I mean, luckily, Apple makes it kind of easy because as soon as they introduce a new one, for example, the iPod mini vanishes like Jimmy Hoffa from the shelves of the Apple stores. Maybe they're uh, maybe they're fixing that. Maybe they're they're bringing back a, a, a half step between the Nano and the uh, the major iPod. Maybe. Because that's the one thing is that you now have no six gig. Do you have a six gig Nano? Wait. No. No. You yeah, only so go, you got oh, no go six up to four gig gigs. Step. Yeah. That could be. Think Secret thinks that it will be. Think Secret thinks different. Uh, they think it will be a new full-size iPod that will go now up to 80 gigs. And maybe maybe some colors? They're thinking maybe a silver you version? Know you it's know what? It's going to be Who a cares? full-size iPod that goes up to 80 gig that has color. Right. And, and they're assuming... Guess what? It will also someday be able to play video. Right, exactly. When the DRM is figured out. Ah... Uh, yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. And they're figuring that people won't get that mad because the Flash MP3 player audience and the big old hard drive audience are different. Yeah. But, you know, no. Just get get your iPods all in one basket, if you would. In fact, um, our 14-year-old caller, Alex, left us a voicemail <laughs> yeah, to Alex that. Alex is very upset. To that degree. He is very upset. He used a dirty word, which is why we'll not be playing it. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't that dirty. But if yeah. his parents are listening, it wasn't that dirty. He, amongst many others, are upset about this rolling out of announcements which you know what i'm waiting to buy my music player until around december yeah just to be safe just to be safe and then they'll come out with something new at mac World I, right after i that. am sticking with my ipod <laughs> mini mr pink i'm not having any of this new ipod all right in the uh, world of big sharks eating smaller sharks aol <laughs> has bought weblogs inc dun, dun, weblogs dun. inc among other things are the parent company of engadget Yes. So I believe this is the first major blog acquisition. We've had acquisitions of blogging technology, such as Google buying Blogger. And I know some other smaller blogs have been eaten up, but this is the first really big successful blog that I can think of. Veronica's shaking her head. Well, yeah. also, uh, Dave Weiner's blog got bought by VeriSign. 
That was very new announcement that just oh. happened like an, like an hour ago. Oh, okay. So oh, there's interesting. Another oh, it's, it started a, a flood of acquisitions. Interesting. Well, this is indeed major. They paid. The, I mean, the the Weblogs Inc. stable was already becoming kind of a mini like media mogul. Exactly. But uh, they shelled out twenty five million dollars cash does that mean and when you say 25 million cash does that mean they piled it up on the table in front so. of jason calcano oh yeah celebrity poker showdown style they wheeled that money right in <laughs> big there were girls in bikinis full of bills. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they're like this is what 25 million dollars looks like and and jason calcano is at weblogs was like okay well it started with 12 million and jason just kept saying keep it coming keep it coming Bring it, bring it. Till the table breaks. Nobody, hey, nobody ever said that guy was dumb. Anyway, uh, so now it, it remains to be seen whether the kind of Engadget and technology blog readership will continue to embrace that now that they're kind of the man. And AOL... And whether it will actually make Grasping AOL at straws. Cool. This is actually a pretty good, good move by them because they're getting a solid content opportunity and they really yep. have been looking for a direction. This, this could focus them. It I could. Think. I actually well, do think it's a good move. And it could actually give them some street cred. I think it's I think it's definitely a good move because blogging is obviously huge and obviously evolving and I think this more than anything shows that blogging is so far removed from the personal website about your cats at yeah. this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Remember when we were talking about companies used to have home pages <laughs> because that's what people had. You right. had your home page. And so Big companies like the Coca-Cola homepage. Right. <laughs> and now we've gotten <laughs> was past like that. Page. And there's no analog between a major company's website and your home website. It's mm-hmm. personal pages versus... I think blogs are going that same way. There's always going to be the personal blogs where you talk about your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whatever. Right. But blogs are going to stop being called blogs in the corporate sense. They're just going to be another way of publishing information for major media. Yeah, I think so. And it's just a little more... It's just more personal publishing is all it is. But it is interesting that some of the other kind of... Uh, mini blog conglomerates like the guys at Gawker are saying, you know, Nick Denton does Gawker.com and he's saying, um, you know, this is the whole, the whole point of blogs is that they're not supposed to be part of this big media. They're supposed to be the little rebel. They're supposed to be, which personally is an argument that I have always found ridiculous. This whole bloggers are not journalists thing. You know, if, if that were the case, so many of them wouldn't be following in the same footsteps as journalism. I mean, they're practicing yeah. journalism. It's a matter of defining your terms. If right. by blogging he means that blogging is just personal diaries, then Engadget is not a blog. Right. It and is just a media company that is making use of the t- same technology to I, publish. I don't think that's what he means. I think he's. I think he is saying that blogs should be small independent outlets for information because we have so much media consolidation because we have so much of a of a consolidated voice and they in the media which be. is true you know personal homepages didn't go away when major companies came on the web which is right. one, one fear that people kept saying like oh they're they're going to ruin the web no mm-hmm. they haven't well and and what remains to be seen is how much editorial freedom AOL really does allow i mean they say that weblogs inc and all its properties will still be mm-hmm. totally independent still based here not moving to virginia and and we'll still have all the same editorial freedom. And if that's the case, then you know it'll it'll be interesting because I think these are some. This is a population who has not always been kind to AOL. And my contention is, if they do, <laughs> if they, they say about if they do ruin Engadget or those other blogs, yeah. other people can start a blog and take their place. Right. And they will. Right. If that happens, if they don't, then they'll they'll keep a leader. So well, and maybe that actually is the the point that Nick Denton is missing is that you know if. 
If some blogs do get eaten up and consolidated, more can always spring up because there is no barrier to entry. That's one of the things Lawrence Lessig talks about is that the internet has created this great opportunity for people to just start their businesses with yes. low barriers. Lawrence Lessig. We'll talk a little bit more about him in a minute. Yes. But, uh, couple other notes. The European Union and the UN are continuing to push for control of the internet. They are, uh, they are asking for ICANN to hand over the administration to an international body. And the idea being that ICANN is actually responsible to the U.S. government, but runs the internet for the entire world. Right. So, Which admittedly uh, is kind of weird. The UN is, and the EU are going to form several committees and forms with a mind to forcibly remove control of the internet from the U.S. because the U.S. has been resisting uh, giving up control <laughs> as we do it's going to be a big fight this yes. is just beginning yeah i mean this is yeah i have no idea where even to come down on this issue it's hard well i understand that the united states did a lot of the development of the internet mm -hmm. and that the administration should belong there to begin with right but it is now a worldwide body yeah absolutely so there's an argument for the other side as well this and is a good one for people to weigh in on yeah we're curious to hear what you think buzz at cnet.com or 1-800-616-cnet Talk, talk it up. Let us uh, let us move on then to uh, Google World War. Domination Watch, perhaps. Yeah, Google World Domination <laughs> Watch continues as Google announces that they are going to provide a an online version of Sun's Open Office, mm -hmm. so that you can use for free for free a very good mimic of Word, Excel, and PowerPoint. Oh, is PowerPoint also in there? There is a there is a uh, presentation software mm. in, in Open Office. I see. So I'm assuming they'll be making that part of that. But uh, Inquirer, as we saw it on Slashdot, but the Inquirer has the story. Their title is Google formally declares war on Microsoft. <laughs> I don't think they're sending any battalions up to Redmond. <laughs> Not right off the bat. Nor are they. Nor are they they're in, amassing at the borders. I think this is a cold war. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, uh, apparently Scott McNeely was resisting admitting it, but uh, Sun's Australian spokesman, Paul O'Connor, was a little more forthright, said the deal was huge. Huge. In an Australian accent. Yes. And a wake-up call for Microsoft. Yeah. Which I, I think Microsoft is well awakened to the threat. <laughs> you said it. I think they probably saw this coming, and I'm sure they're worried, and we'll see how they respond. Should we get to uh, our calls today? I think today? so. Uh, we, have a, we have a new contributor, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> um, we're calling him Ace Fact Checker Christopher Stevens. Roll Chris. Hey, this is Christopher Stevens in New York, and on the October 4th podcast, you were uh, trashing the MTA for uh, getting in the way of somebody wanting to distribute the maps for free for iPods and other Things with small screens, um, and you said that hey, they need to protect that because they they make money off those maps. Well, they do license out the logo um, for T-shirts and such, but the maps, the MTA here in New York, they give them out for free. Go up to any subway station and ask them nicely, "Can I have a subway map?" They'll give it to you for no money. You don't even have to ride the subway; they'll just give it to you. Anyway, just thought I'd clear that up. Yeah, I, I know the maps are given away free. I, I actually, I didn't express myself very well. I was, I was trying to say your point about the t-shirts and the, the licensing. That's how they make the money. I know they don't make right. money off of giving away the, the maps. But, but that's a good still, point. It makes it all the more reprehensible, in my opinion. But that's not it for Ace this Fact Checker. This is unforgivable. Christopher Stevens. That's right. There's more. Hey, it's Christopher Stevens again with another little clarification for the October 4th podcast. You mentioned that uh, Taiwan was offended because Google considered it to be a breakaway province of China, of mainland China, the 
PRC, the, it's not so much that Taiwan considers itself to be independent. Taiwan's official line is that they actually consider their government to be the legitimate government, both of the island of Taiwan and all of the rest of China. It's not necessarily a realistic claim on their part, but it means that you either have to side with the Chinese uh, in Beijing or the Chinese in Taipei, and um, neither uh, situation is particularly um, easy or, again, realistic. So anyway, just uh, lest you add yourself to the list of people who might offend uh, the Taiwanese government, you and Google. Thanks. Bye. Um, I think you mean the Chinese government. <laughs> That's right. We're now an enemy of, of the Chinese government. No, we're not. Square. We're not an enemy of either Chinese government. That's right. The Repu- People's Republic or the regular republic. More than anything, this just explains why Google had a hard time picking. But I will now refer they to it as the, the big one. island of Formosa, just to avoid confusion. <laughs> Can now. I call them Big China and Little China? <laughs> I don't know. That seems a little diminutive. You it might does. Wanna, you might want to back off on but that. But it leads directly to big trouble in Little China, which... <laughs> Really, it's obviously where I was going with that. I was waiting for right. that one. It's very exciting <laughs> yeah. that you said that. And that's thank you very much. why thank we're you. kicking you. you out thank and you. sending you and down to Southern California. <laughs> oh, um, no, the Nevada desert, my friend. The uh, fi- Well, it starts in Barstow, doesn't it? The DARPA Grand Challenge is what we're talking about. The folks. Grand Challenge begins in Prim, just outside of Prim, Nevada. I thought that was the end. The, the qualifiers okay, are so it's in near. I think the hotels Bar- are all in Barstow. Bar- <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm thinking that. I think uh, I'll be at some place called Whiskey Joe's. But the finalists ha- finalists have been announced, and you're uh, you're headed to Prim, Nevada. I am. So we will. I will be reporting from the robot races, the the robotic vehicle races. I guess it's not fair to call them strictly robots, but I am excited to see if one of them. I don't. I don't know if you've heard of the Starpa Grand Challenge, but it's at GrandChallenge.org. They held one about 18 months ago and had these sort of autonomous robotic vehicles attempting to race a something like a 100-mile course to win a million dollars, $1.2 million then. Now it's a $2 million purse. But it's exciting (laughs) and potentially hilarious because last year, the best-performing robot only made it about three or four miles yeah it, it, it before it would just went right off the before course. yeah they they because got high centered they went into the water these maybe not the water vehicles so have to be all self-directed yes they cannot be operated remotely so they have to get themselves to what las vegas just outside of las vegas right mm-hmm. from from near the end of nevada um i can't remember exactly how long the mile how long is the uh, the course but they uh last year one of them went up in smoke there was a great aerial shot yes uh, of one of them just not blowing up exactly, but <laughs> but kind of looks like it. Just yeah. kind of starting to smoke, and you should really check out DARPA.org, and then it'll lead you right to Grand Challenge, and you will find the most amazing videos and stuff from the, some of the teams. The Stanford team's vehicle is actually a motorcycle. It's a two wheeled vehicle, and it it rides itself. It's like they I think they're calling it the Ghost Rider, and I don't even know how this thing can stay up upright because it's a motorcycle we'll see if it does yeah fantastic you know the other thing is they all do really well in the qualifying and then somehow something happens on the day of the race yeah so we'll see if that happens again. come to cnet.com next week though because we will have i will be video reporting and we will have video of the grand challenge which i hope will be not only um fantastic but hilariously slapstick but molly will be on tomorrow's podcast because uh we did get our interview with professor lawrence lessig so we'll be talking to him about creative commons on tomorrow's podcast this is a great interview he's a brilliant man so i love it keep those cards and letters coming (laughs) you know how we love them buzz at cnet.com or 1-800-616-cnet thanks thanks bye
take it easy, Greasy. <laughs>